The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. Get up close and personal with some of your favorite male porn stars on One on One with Poppy Chulo. Created by Poppy Chulo, One on One showcases exclusive interviews with the adult industry's most popular male performers. Here's your host, Poppy Chulo. Welcome to One on One with Poppy Chulo. Today is Sunday, May 10th, 2015. Listeners, please welcome multiple award-winning and nominated adult industry veteran, the 2015 AVN Award winner for Male Performer of the Year, and the 2015 XRCO Award winner for Male Performer of the Year, Mick Blue. Welcome to the show, Mick. Hi, everybody. (laughs) How are you doing, Mr. Award winner? I'm doing doing fabulous. That's great to hear. Absolutely great. Awesome, that's good to hear, and you've had quite the career and certainly quite the year, so I'm really excited about getting the chance to chat with you about this phenomenal career that you've had in the industry thus far. Okay, let's get on going. (laughs) Fantastic, man. Well, I typically like to start my one-on-one interviews by getting stats out the way, because for the most part, your fans and the supporters out there that are tuning in right now, they haven't had the chance to see you in person. They only get to see you in the various scenes that you've done. So let's get to know some of your stats. What's your height and weight? Um, My height and weight is I'm like 5'10 high, and uh, my weight is... It's depending between 170 and 175 pounds. It's really just like, um, depending how much sport I do, how how much food I eat, but it's in between there. Mm -hmm. Okay. What's your zodiac sign? Um, I'm a Virgo. And how old are you? And um, I am 38 years old now, and uh, the Chinese sign of mine is a dragon. That's what's up, man. So let's start at the very beginning. Let's get to know the man behind the performer. Where are you originally from? I'm originally from Austria, that is in Europe. And uh, yeah, uh, I started to come to America in 2004 the first time, but I started the industry already in the year. 2000 back in Europe. So let's talk about Mick Blue and what he was like growing up. What were you like as a child and as a teenager? <laughs> I would say I was, I was a regular um, teenager, I would say. Um, I kind of like went to school, you know, studying, started to work with everybody else. And... Uh, had like a tremendous sex drive, you know, like uh, I started, uh, I discovered masturbating uh, in the age of 12 years. 
like when I was 12 years. And I started to masturbate and until now I never stopped. It's still one of my favorite things to do. There you go, man. So we all know how Mick Blue likes to uh, spend uh, his downtime. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Lots of work and trying to live healthy. And spending as much time as possible with my wife, Annika. Fantastic, man. So can you sort of uh, take us into uh, like your early 20s? What was going on in your life then? Um, in the in the early twenties, let me see. So, so I started the adult industry like um, at an age from about twenty three. I think I was twenty three years old when I started the the adult industry. And before that, um, I worked. I worked. I was. I was basically. Um, and hmm, it's hard to explain. Um, I worked for a construction company, mm-hmm. and uh, um, I was. The last job I had there was uh, a management position um, from finances for the company and stuff like that. Okay, cool. So you've been in the industry since you were 23. It's been 15 years. You started in the year 2000. Can you share with the listeners how you got into the industry? Okay, um, so everything started actually when I was... I think I was about 18 years of age, and uh, that, that was the first time when I had a thought about the industry. It started like this. Um, I worked at a bar, and um, one of my good friends at the time, um, we were like drinking, and we spoke about that, what we're going to do if we, if we would ever want to change our job, you know, or our profession, or if something happens in life, you know, mm-hmm. life is always so unpredictable, and you, you never really know what can happen or what can be going on, right? And so I told him, I said, you know what, if I ever need to change my job, or if something happens in life, I'm going to become a porn star, you know, because I have, I have what girls say it's a big penis and I think I'm pretty good at sex. <laughs> and then he was laughing, you know, they was like, Yeah, you're never gonna be a porn star, it's just like bullshit, you know? And I was like, Well, okay, I'm gonna I'm eighteen years old, you never know what's gonna happen in the future. Most likely you're right. But then um, when everything like I worked I worked for the company, I had a management position, or uh, then um, we kind of like uh, the the other manager. We kind of like split base in our ideas. So we decided, you know, to, to split parts, you know. And so I was not working for the company anymore. So then after that, I decided to go into um, um, the insurance business, like renters insurance, uh, life insurance, all this kind of stuff, and financing. And I was pretty good in that uh, for two years, but then the big uh, financial crisis came uh, in Europe, which kind of like damaged that business. And so I said, you know what, Uh, I don't really need to worry now that people think about me because I'm working anywhere really for myself. So I'm kind of like, I just have to give it a try, you know. And then uh, from there, I started to, to write out letters to adult companies and saying that I would like to get a try and these and that. 
And of course, nobody nobody really answered. And the only answer they were like, yeah, uh, send us a video with your your buttons, and then we consider. And that didn't happen either, you know. So it's kind of like it was kind of like uh, a wall in front of my head. Um, and so um, that was in the year 1999 or something like that, you know. And I almost gave up. But then I found a interest in the newspaper. Um, but it's kind of like to say, like, yeah, you know, if you pay like 60 bucks or something like this, we give you five porn actors in, in, a, in an amateur movie and stuff like this. So, so I went there, um, I paid the money, and I did my thing, you know, I had sex with, with the girls and there were other guys there too, but of course, I mean, they, they didn't really have any connection in the industry, they really just tried to create uh, free content because the guys basically pay for the girls in the film days. Um, so nothing happened with that loud um, at first till I out of nowhere I got a phone call from the from the owner of the contact magazine like sex contact magazine in Austria and he had his own competition going on where it was kind of like like a, a, a game bang competition where he had like five girls and 20 guys and the, the, the best fucker basically wins, you know, and gets the ch- chance of a, of a um, photo shoot with somebody else and some other girls and this kind of stuff, you know. And uh, so I participated there and Luckily, I was I was able to win, and then from there I, I started a photo shoot. Then after the photo shoot, nothing happened. But I decided to travel to Berlin to the uh, Venus Awards in the year 2000, and there um, I finally started to make some contact in the industry, and everything took its way from there, pretty much. Wow, man, that's quite the story. It's a very interesting story. Certainly a unique story. Yeah, it's like, it was a long way, you know? Yeah, man, but uh, fortunately you got in, and certainly a lot of great things have happened to you since then. So before that day when you were chatting with your friend and you were like, oh, you know, if anything happens, I'll do porn. Had porn been something that you thought about doing? Was it something that you were like, hmm, maybe one day I'd like to try this? Well, it was a fantasy because I think I was I was uh, in the age of 14 or 16. I don't remember quite well, but... Uh, um, I was I was able to rent um, our porn VHS tapes, you know, at the at the at the, at the um, blockbuster in Austria, and so I watched it, you know. And of course, you know, it created some kind of like a fantasy um, to have sex with those beautiful women, you know, like like also many many others out there have, you know. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And man. so so I, so I started watching porn, you know, and. Of course, um, I think that's also a reason why I kind of like decided after in my life that I want to give it a try. Very cool, man. So let's talk about your poor name. How did you come up uh, with the name Mick Blue as your name as a performer in the industry? 
Okay, that was that was a, actually a pretty fun bad story. Um, it was it was like, like right around uh, the Venus in Berlin in, in the year 2000. Like I think it was even a little bit after, mm-hmm. or maybe beginning 2001. Um, I was uh, on set in Paris. Uh, the director, the director's name was Hansi Nussbaum, and um, I worked, I worked for him there. And it was kind of like after after the first day of production, uh, I did the scene for him that day. We we kind of like we sat down. It was Hansi, the makeup artist, and myself. And I said, Hansi, listen, I'm planning to do this now for quite some time. In the industry, I need to have a stage name, you know. Mm-hmm. And and he's like, okay, fair enough. I understand. You need to have a stage name. And I say like, so can you help me? You know. So it's basically we were drinking some red wine, and the makeup artist and Hansi, we were and myself, we were brainstorming which kind of name we could say, you know. So Hansi had basically part on the first part of the name because he said like, well, you know, like Mickey or Michael, mm, I don't know. Let's just say because because you're you're fast like like a plane, you know, or something like that. Let's let's call you Mick, you know. And so I was like, okay, Mick sounds fine, you know. And then uh, the makeup artist said, um, you know what, your eyes are really like. Like very special on you, and so let's call you Mickey Blue Eyes. And that was before the movie Mickey Blue Eyes was even ever created. <laughs> but uh, but then but then we said like you know what Mickey Blue Eyes, it maybe is a little bit too long. You know like let's I think we need to shorten it a little bit. And so in the end we we stick with just like okay let's just stick with Mickey Blue. You know and. I was like, Miklo, 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 and I just stick with it, you know. And that's pretty much the story. And ever after, I used this name when it was created in the year 2000. Yeah, man. I'm and <laughs> And it certainly has done wonders for you, man. I think it was the right name for you. Yeah, I think so. Sometimes I thought it, it's maybe a little bit too simple or too pornographic, but... Uh, versus other names out there. But overall I need to say it's like it's like a it's like a short and fine name and it's it's easy to, to spell and easy to say. But I think it did quite right on the past fifteen years. Mm-hmm. And easy to remember. I mean I don't think there's anyone in the industry that has a name that's at all similar to yours, so it's certainly unique. Mm-hmm. Very strong, very strong. Let's talk about your first day on set. What was it like for you the first day that you were doing a hardcore scene? What was going on in your mind? Were you excited, nervous, scared, mixture of all of the above? <laughs> okay, the first day, the first day, like I don't count, I don't count the like those little amateur things that I did before in Austria because that was not really like a set day, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I count as the first set day, it was a production in Paris for Videorama. Uh, the director was Michael Fry, who was a German guy. And 
um, yeah, they they flew me out to to Paris. Uh, I was there basically for a week, and the first day on set was I will <laughs> I will always remember. Um, I was there with Tony Dax, he's, he's a German actor, and and myself, and he played a detective, and I was his detective assistant, and uh, we kind of like we kind of like uh, we kind of like we broke in into the mansion and tried to solve the mystery that was going on there, and so we split up and. He went his way, of course, I went my way, and I captured uh, this one young uh, Czech girl, I think her name is Katerina. I captured her on the, on the patio and I dragged her inside of the house and I started my investigation, you know? And, of course, then we did the investigation um, was, or how should, how should I say, ended up uh, in a sexual favor from the girl, and uh, it was an anal scene, you know? Mm. It went from and an investigation so, to dictation. Dictation, exactly, <laughs> you know? So, um, and it was an anal scene, and I think uh, in, it was the first time in my life that I actually penetrated a girl anally, you know? Mm. Like, like, I always fantasized of of uh, having anal sex with a girl, but you know, in private life back in the days, it was not really that common in at least in Austria, and so I was super excited, you know, and uh, nervous of course as well. But like all I had in my mind was to get my penis in her butt, and that's it. <laughs> and then uh, the director himself, he basically all he told me was uh, that. I need to capture her, he explained the, the role I have to play, and that I have to fuck in the ass. He kind of like, that's what he said, you know? And so I did my thing, I started fucking her, we started the genre and stuff like that, and then um, after some time, I estimated it for myself, and then I thought it was enough time, you know? I, I started penetrating her butt. And, uh, I don't know how long I had sex with her, but uh, I was like, okay, it feels right, you know, it feels good, I fucked her butt and all this kind of stuff, you know, so um, I, I felt the urge to come, and I just pulled out and come all over her ass, you know, and I thought it was a great scene, because I fucked her, um, I had a good time, and I came on her ass, and... It, it wasn't like that. Uh, the director started screaming. He was like, oh my God, like in German. What's wrong? Why did you come already? We don't have enough time and we haven't done sex deals yet. Yada, yada, yada. It, it really made me... Oh no. <laughs> like, like, push me down like a mouth on the floor. You know, and I didn't know what's going on because he never told me that we have to do sex deals. He never told me that I have to wait for him are to tell me that I can come, you know, and I was used to the amateur stuff, you know, where you can basically do whatever you want to do and just have sex with those people, you know. And so, so that was, uh, I thought it was a great, great achievement, but it ended up in a, in a really depressing point, you know, where I was like, oh my God, you know, I, I did not want to end it like that, you know, I was hoping to impress him. And not just that, yeah. 
Wow, that, that's too funny, man. I guess a lot of people, when they join the industry, they don't necessarily take into account that there's a whole bunch of stuff that has to happen just to make that scene happen. You know, you got to take the stills. You got to, you know, you got to make sure that the director has enough footage. So, I mean, that's funny. But, I mean, what can you do? I mean, they didn't tell you. Things happen. And I, I thought I was right, you know. And I had no idea. I mean, nobody had explained me what I have to do and how I have to do it. I haven't seen a real sex uh, scene before on the set, so it wasn't really my fault, but it ended up being my fault. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the good and the bad of being on set and doing a scene. What turns you on the most and what turns you off the most when you're on set? Um, that's a good question. Um, it's kind of like, I think what turns me on is, is that if there is a good vibe on set, if you, if you work with people who are pleasant to be around, you know, and, and if it's just like, like, uh, how can I say, like, um, a normal stressless environment, mm-hmm. you know, so that, so that after, in, after a day of work, you leave the set and you say, like, wow, that was a fun day, you know, like, like, I had a good time. Are the girls who stick to work with, and that I think that's a turn on. Um, a turn off for me is basically the, the opposite of that that I said just now. And on top of it, if, if for example, a girl is is not clean, if she doesn't take care of herself, if she if she has um, bad smell coming out. Of any of her holes, you know, and and those kind of things. So those things, I would say, are, are turn-offs, you know. Overall, what do you enjoy most about starring in porn scenes? All right, let's, let's start in the beginning. Um, when I started the industry, one of the reasons why I started uh, or why I wanted to become a porn star is because I liked the idea. But, okay, first of all, to make money with something you like to do. I like that, because you know, it's, it's, it's a very big part of my life. Uh, but the other thing that I truly enjoyed, and it was kind of like a fetish for me, and it still is sometimes, uh, is the fact that I was able to go on set, don't have to talk with any of the girls I'm working with. It's basically... I can have sex with complete strangers without even having to talk to them, uh, without knowing them. You know, like uh, it's, it's kind of like this this mystery and and like this this thing uh, that um, kind of like being so different to a regular life, where you have to go in a bar, for example, and you meet a girl, you talk to her for three hours, buy her drinks, and then in the end you go again home alone. You know with your hand in the pocket. And uh, in our industry, it was the opposite. I didn't have to talk to them. And I still couldn't sex with those girls. <laughs> that was like a fetish. Okay, that's interesting. I like that answer. 
Let's talk about the different scene types that you've been in. I mean, you've done gonzo work, you've done reality-based content, you've done what I like to call like the vignette skit-based productions, and you've also mm -hmm. done some feature work. So my question for you is, do you prepare yourself mentally in different ways depending on the type of scene that you have to shoot? Um... I think I think right right now I'm I'm on a point of my career where I don't need to I don't need to prepare myself mentally before I go to work. You know, it's like it's like it's basically I go I go to work. I know I know what I'm capable of, and I I know how to manage good and bad situations because I've done it so many times. Mm -hmm. Uh, that that I'm basically very flexible, you know. It's like, it's like if I if I come on set and, and the director says, okay, I want to have today, I want to have a scene like this and this and this, you know, I'm like, okay, we can do that. Or I want to have a scene like that, like amateur, real time, love it every second. I'm like, okay, I can do that too, you know. Or if I come on set and they say, like, hey, we have now ten pages of dialogue. Um, and I act it out over the next few hours, and then and then you can have sex with the girl hard and soft and this and that, you know. And say, okay, I can do that too. You know, it's like it it really um, doesn't doesn't bring me out of my groove, you know. And I don't really have to pretend myself mentally for it. That's very understandable, especially after all of the incredible work that you've done in the industry thus far, and all the scenes that you've done. Yeah, it's like, it's like um, I think like our industry is is like um, a craftsman a craftsman's job, you know. Where it's kind of like you like if if, if you're if you're uh, I think the right word is a carpenter. Uh, if you if you're at the beginning of the career of building tables and and. Uh, uh, Bats or whatever, you know, like you don't know how to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, you're kind of like, oh my god, it's so like difficult to build a chair or to build a table. But then, if you do that for four or five, ten or fifteen years, do and like, hey, is this a piece of cake to make a table or a chair? Because I've done it hundreds of times, you know. And our industry, I think, is the same. You know, you start, you start from point zero, you know. Um, having sex at home in your private life is is not a hard part. You know, it's like you you go on set, you will very fast realize that it is completely different than anything you experience at home in your private life. Because there are people with the camera in your face, there are lights, you know, who brighten up everything. There are girls who don't want to work with you and stuff like that, you know. And and so it's kind of like you you learn it, you know, like. Like you, you become every year. I would say better if you stick with it, you know, and if you open yourself up to learn and and to to improve your skills. And then after a certain time, you kind of like you have pretty much to every situation an answer. That's very true. Another great answer from Mick Blue. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome, man. I want to talk a bit about the difference between 
porn shot in Europe and porn here in the United States. When you started your career, you started shooting scenes across the pond in Europe. And at least at that time, in you know the late 90s, early 2000s, it seems as if European porn back then was a bit more raw and it seemed to take a little bit more risks sexually than uh, porn here in the United States. I think American porn has uh, evolved, uh, especially throughout the past 10 to 15 years, you know, around the time that you've been in the industry. And maybe that opinion of European porn being a little bit different, a little bit more raw, is uh, sort of negated nowadays because American porn seems to be a whole bunch more raw and grittier and, um, for lack of a better word, um, sexually aggressive. I Maybe. Um, what, do, what do you understand when you say raw? Just that I get it right. Um, like sexually, um, um, how would I say raw? Like maybe a little bit more rough, a little bit more intense. Mm, there, okay. was, there was an intensity to European porn, at least maybe around 15 years ago, that American porn lacked. And throughout the years, it seems as if American porn has gotten that intensity. And now... Mm. You know, before you could tell the difference if something was shot in Europe versus here. And it not, I'm not talking about necessarily the quality of the video. I'm talking about sort of like the sexual chemistry and the, the sexual mm -hmm. rawness of the scene. So my question for you is, you know, would you agree that there was a bit of a difference in how European porn was performed than American porn? And um, have you at all noticed the change, a change in how American porn is performed? Um, what I experienced, you know, um, is, is the following. Um, I would say yes. There, like when I started in 2000, you know, uh, uh, most of the work I did in Europe before I came to America, um, versus like European porn versus American porn, yes, there was a difference. Um, the, um, when you think about rawness, um, porn in, in Europe, for example, versus American porn, I think you need a difference uh, um, in, in which country uh, the porn was produced, because the only the only country I can imagine right now being a little bit more raw than the American porn was the German porn. Um, but uh, besides the German porn, like... Most of the stuff that I did after, like for private and and other companies in Europe, I I thought it was mm, actually the opposite. You know, uh, for me, the biggest difference was like before when I came after to America from Europe was that in Europe we were shooting pretty much every movie we did was a feature movie. It's kind of like. Like, uh, you, you came on set, you had long dialogue days, you know, and then you fly on the set to do your sex scene, and the sex scene was shot five to seven hours long, you know, it's kind of like this changing the lighting setup, you know, and changing the position, and changing this, taking breaks in between. So it was, it was like a marathon every single time I went on set to do scenes. And, um, I could use it, of course, after some time, but it was very, very, how can I say, it was, it was very tiring, you know? And then, when I came after 
for a marathon turned out before the first time and I started getting seen, uh, everything was gone for It's basically, you come on set, you get food, the girl is already naked, you have sex with the girl for 25 minutes straight, do a few seconds, come on your face and you go home, you know? And it, I was like, oh my god, American porn is just so much easier, you know? It's like, like I didn't even realize I was working at all because it was just over so fast because I was used to being American in Europe. And that was the biggest difference I've seen, I would say, you know? Because in Europe, European companies couldn't really shoot golden at the time. It was more an American thing. Okay, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah, and then um, now, I don't know anymore exactly how porn is in Europe now, but I think, I think um, some companies uh, in America, they, they become pretty raw, you know, like almost almost to, to, to a point, you know, where it's kind of like for myself, um, I don't want to be involved with it. So since we're talking about scenes, let's break a porn scene down. In a scene, which do you enjoy the most? Oral, vag, or anal? Well, I, I think, I, I think um, most of the time, most of the time I prefer vaginal sex because it's the most natural way. But I do have to say that there, there are many, many girls out there who can truly enjoy anal sex as well and in situations like this I really enjoy anal sex too and then of course <laughs> I mean if a girl is really good at giving blowjobs you know I mean uh, it would be wrong for me to say that I wouldn't enjoy blowjobs either so it, um, to answer your question um, it's I would say it really depends on the girl what I enjoy most, you know? In a scene, what's your favorite sexual position and does it differ from your favorite position off camera? Um, well, off camera, off camera, in my, in my private life. Correct. My Outside of the set. Most, yeah, most, my most favorite position is missionary. Absolutely, because I can I can engage with with uh, the woman I'm I'm having sex with with my wife Annika, and for instance now you know uh, and and it is a very intimate uh, position you know and so I I am hands on like private like I private life I prefer missionary um, in scenes I think. Um, missionary is good, but it, it doesn't really show much for the viewer, you know, so it's kind of like, like, uh, I think in scenes I prefer cowgirl and body because it, you can, you can really get into the sex and, and you can also give the camera the possibility to, to, to show everything, you know, so it's kind of like, uh, it, it combines two worlds with each other. And of course, we all know how a scene ends with the pop shot. In a scene, where is your favorite place to shoot your load? I think 
in in a scene in the scene, my favorite place to shoot a lot is is the base. Um, I know it's very pornographic, but I think it's just it's just like I think it's beautiful when you see when you see the come on a beautiful girl's face, and it's it's just like I think I, I share I share the interest with many fans out there because all of us. How would you describe your fuck style? Oof, I, this is <laughs> I, that's, a, that's a good question. Uh, how to describe my fuck style? Um, I think I think uh, it's, it's a fuck style to find a way uh, to give the woman uh, the most pleasure possible. Uh, it can be it can be tough, it can be slow, it can be a little bit rougher if needed, you know. But in the end of the day, it always has the same goal, and the, and the goal is to achieve uh, a situation where the where the woman can live with a smile, uh, the set on the day you were to And I think that comes across in the scenes that you do. I think it's very evident. Thank you. You're welcome. Overall, throughout the 15 years that you've been in the industry, who have been some of your most favorite performers to work with? Hmm. Okay. Well, and I know of one favorite. name that you need to make sure you have on that list. <laughs> no, like, like as of now, my my favorite performer. Uh, to work with his NFL best. There's there's hands down, you know, it's like it's like and I'm sure you've seen scenes we've done in the past all the past two years and it's it's like like I don't know how to say it. We, we just we just like there's an electricity to combine our private life with with set life when we work together and that just makes it so epic, you know, and, and so wonderful. I agree. You guys are electric together. <laughs> Thank you. No, it's, it's really just like, you know, like for, for us, it's, a, it's almost like a fetish when we work together on set because uh, we, can, we can role play, you know, and, and do something uh -huh. different yeah. than at home. You know, it's kind of like we can, we can go into characters, you know, and play it out and it's fun, you know. It's, it's really something super, super cool, especially when you can uh, share the moment and enjoy the scene with, with the person you, you truly love and uh, spend your life with, you know? Very nice, man. Who haven't you worked with that is on your quote-unquote must-do list? That's, you know, some people that you're interested in working with in the future in scenes. <sighs> Hmm. Well, that's a, that's a good question because, like, uh, the longer the longer I'm in porn, I I stop kind of like thinking about those kind of things because if it happens, it happens, you know. Uh, it's it kind of like, um, how can I say? Um, I'm kind of like out of the book with that one. Uh, in the past. 
in the past when I when I started the industry or when I came the first time uh, to America uh, in the year 2004, I was like, okay, I do want to do a scene with Jenna James, you know, mm-hmm. because she was huge at that time. And that, that was like about this. And my friends in Australia said, dude, if you're going to do a scene with Jenna James, we're going to make sure that you get a... The, the bigger statue on the on the main place on the main place in the city where you're from, you know, like like a mixed blue statue, <laughs> or to to remember the the thing. But uh, um, that's kind of like old news now, you know. Then there was a time when Tara Patrick was was still in the game. That was an absolute uh, bucket list. Thing where I was like, okay, you know, I, I definitely would like to do that one time. But uh, Terrifying is gone too now. And the way how the industry evolved over, over the past 10 years, we don't really have uh, kind of like those unique created stars anymore as, as it was before because the industry just changed. You know, it's kind of like it's harder for girls, you know. Yeah. To achieve that, so it's kind of like it's it's really hard for me to say, you know, who I have on my bucket list. Um, as of now, I don't think so. I have a bucket list. It's more like like a bucket list um, who I would like to work together with with anything at the same time, you know. Nice. Team up on a girl together, you know. It's, it's more of those kind of things. I have more like a bucket list where. Of, of girls that that any kind of idol would like to have sex together with in the same time, you know? Yeah. Uh, but like like for for myself I'm I'm just like um I don't know. The girls they come and go so fast, you know, like it's it's really hard to catch up with it. And and I'm I'm kind of like I'm focused on so many other things than focusing on about girls who I want to work with. Okay. No, well, it's understandable. When you first started your career in the industry, were there any performers that you looked up to, that you looked up to their career trajectory in the industry? Absolutely. Uh, one of one of the biggest idols was, of course, Rocket Freddy. Um, he, still, he still is one of the greatest ever been out there. And uh, besides that, there were, there were also some, some guys, you know, who I've seen who... I thought they were really cool. It was like David Perry. He was already in the game, and I saw him in, in movies before that. I thought it was really cool. And and then also guys like Christoph Clark and and those European guys. Since you've been in the industry for 15 years now, I'm kind of curious to ask, who are some of the people in the industry, whether it's in front of the camera or behind the camera, that you would consider to be a good friend in the industry? Who does Mick Blue socialize with in the business? Um, well, they're, they're, quite, they're quite a few people. You know, like, as, as you know, we are, we are all kind of like, are a community, you know, like after so many years you get to know each other. And like I would say I would say friends friends of mine who are socialized also in private life are guys like Tony Rebels, Manuel Ferrara, uh Ramon Lamar, 
Um, Eric Everhard, Chris Fiends, Tegerson uh, James, Eddie Powell, um, Jules Jordan, and Mason, and many, many others. It would be a long list to name, and Valerie, for example. I'm kind of curious to ask, what's the most amount of scenes that you filmed in a week? In a week, um, I would say, I would say the most the most amount of scenes I filmed in a week was probably about ten. Wow! So that means uh, you doubled up a couple days. Have you ever shot more than two scenes in a day? Um, I've shot I've shot three scenes within twenty four hours. Oh, okay. Over two days. Yeah. You know, like like if you like, but uh. In in one day, um, I think I think like um, without sleeping in between, our two scenes is is enough. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, you gotta replenish. Exactly, <laughs> and you also need to uh, um, keep the quality control. You know, it's, it's like it's like you, you need to you need to understand as a main performer that if people invest money in you. And and spend you know kind of like for location, town cameraman, and makeup artist, and all this kind of stuff, you know, and and then they book you for the work you've done before, like the previous work you've done, then you kind of like have to have to give them that what they expect, you know, and what they are paying for. And if you do too many scenes in a day, it's kind of more difficult to to guarantee the performance they are expecting. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. What has been one of the most memorable shoots that you've done throughout your career? <laughs> okay. Uh, my most memorable shoot and I think are the coolest scene I've ever done so far was uh, just recently, uh, we we shot it uh, last year in December, and it was basically like like a reverse gangbang with with Annika, my wife, uh, Adriana Jepchik, Carter Cruz, Skin Diamond, uh, and Dahlia Sky. Mick Blue is one lucky bastard. Exactly, exactly, and that that was for me. Uh, one of the most memorable scenes of all times because uh, first of all I was able to share it with my wife Annika and second of all uh, it was just like we just went nuts for an hour pretty much non-stop <laughs> and all the, girl, all the girls were just so phenomenal and so great you know in, in that what they did I, I truly was a lucky bastard who got an early Christmas present from Now, for those that are listening right now that may never get the chance to experience a reverse gangbang, can you fill the listeners in on what it was like to be in a reverse gangbang? Right. It is, it is like... I mean, I was nervous. <laughs> I was nervous because because you have, you have five great girls, you know, and and they all want to have a piece of you, and uh, 
it's kind of like I knew I knew that that we're gonna gonna shoot the scene for an hour or so, and I was like, I don't know what to expect. And then and then once you once you're in there, you know, you kind of like get consumed by by all the girls. It's kind of like you don't you don't really know anymore anymore where it's up and down, left and right, and this and that. I, I was literally just there. Some girl was in a car. Uh, the other girl had had the right hand fingers in her vagina. The other girl had the left hand fingers in her vagina. Another girl was sitting on my face. So it's kind of like just vagina and girl. You you kind of like you you lose orientation sometimes. What has been one of the funniest things that has ever happened to you on a on set when you're on a porn set? One of the funniest things. Hmm, that's that's a, that's a hard question to answer right now. I can I can explain the worst thing that happened to me. If that's too good. That sounds good. So so instead of funny, something embarrassing. Um, not embarrassing, but the worst. Okay. Um, like and and I hope I hope. Um, Everybody who's listening right now uh, didn't have just dinner because the microphone doesn't begin. Um, so the situation was like this. It was, uh, I think it was in the year 2005 or 2006 in Czech Republic. And I've been working for the, for the American director, Jerry T, uh, who released his movies under the company Legend. And... Uh, he kind of like, um, he, he liked to come to Czech Republic to shoot stuff there and I was one of his go-to guys. And he had a very simple method, you know. Um, each scene had to be exactly 36 minutes. And from those okay. 36 minutes, the first 18 minutes, the first 18 minutes of the scene were, for example, blowjob, including vaginal sex. Mm-hmm. And then after 18 minutes, he basically said, like, go fuck the bitch's ass. He literally screamed from behind the camera, you know. And and then he started uh, fucking other girl in the ass, you know. And that one day, a specific day, you know, um, I did the scene for him. It was an anal scene. And the girl was a Czech blondie, a little bit taller and heavier. But as far as I remember, she was quite beautiful. And we started the scene, and uh, 18 minutes were over, and we said, like, okay, put it in her ass now. So I, so I did. And we were, like, in reverse cowgirl, I started fucking ass, and, like, two minutes into the ass fucking ass, I was like, man, that feels really, really good today. You know, like, like her ass was feeling so nice and warm, you know, and, <laughs> and it was really nice, lubricated and everything. So I was like, wow, that's a fucking great day today, you know? And then Jerry... The director, he screamed, make her, make her cook more, no? Which means, like, uh, make her gape, you know? And, and the way how we did it in Europe back in the days, you know, when the girl was in reverse cowgirl, you just basically spread her ass open and lift her legs back, you know? And then the camera can see the gape. And then you continue fucking, you know? And so I did. I basically get ready. Did a few more pumps, spread it out, lift it back, and in that moment, like, dude, like, uh, a whole 
pot of vegetable table soup was shooting out of her ass, you know, like over the creamy colored couch, over my whole body, you know, down to the floor. So basically, like, I was literally soaked, you know, in, in watery shit diarrhea kind of thing from from stomach to the bottom, you know, sitting in there and our, nobody else was left in the room, you know, just the girl and myself, because when Jerry saw that and the camera guy saw that, they stormed to the balcony because it was smelling so bad. <laughs> wow. So you had a volcanic eruption in the Czech Republic. It was a volcanic eruption, literally. Yeah, there, there was, there was like, it was everything was just brown, you know, like literally brown, you know, like, like if you, if you know goulash from Hungary, like, mm -hmm. like the, the food or vegetable soup, you know, this, this, or chili, American day, like, like chili, chili soup or something like that. <laughs> That's how it looked like. And, and, and the thing was, you know, it's like the girl, she was totally embarrassed, you know, she was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Like, what am I going to say? You know, I'm like, okay, well, it's, it's happen, fine. You know, so, yeah, <laughs> Shit it, happens. It's fine. Shit happens. <laughs> Literally. So, so, so what happened was, you know, uh, we both, we both went to take a shower uh, and clean up, you know, she cleaned up, I cleaned up, uh, the, the assistant uh, cleaned up the room, you know, we had probably about 20 minutes to half an hour break. Uh, and we still had to shoot another 16 minutes of anal sex, you know. And uh, once, once everybody recused, you know, and I think the girl, she might have cleaned after one more time a little bit and got the girl so that there was nothing in there anymore. We continued the scene, shot another 16 minutes and finished it. And that was, that was literally as she did it work. <laughs> yeah, wow. Poor McBlue. Good grief. Well, yeah. Can't happen, you know? <laughs> exactly. Happens. Shit happens. Exactly. Good grief, man. Well, that was crazy in and of itself, not in a good way. So let's talk about crazy in a good way. What's the craziest thing that you've had to do in a scene? What's something that after you left that shoot, you were like, wow, I can't believe I did that? Crazy. Dude, I've done so much crazy stuff, I don't even remember what I did. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, um... That was, yeah, do you remember something crazy what I did? I'm asking any commodity to shoot him and stuff. Hmm. I was thinking Oh, like, one of the craziest things we did was when we, when we showed the gangbang, with Adriana Jetic, oh. uh, not too long time ago, and yeah, and she she literally wanted to have uh, her butthole penetrated by three cocks in the same time. That was pretty crazy. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. So so we did triple anal with her, and then uh, like I mean other crazy stuff that I did like oh. Something really, really crazy that I did was with Annika together, but uh, uh, that's something which only gonna be released on our website one time. 
uh, it was basically we were in Fiji and we decided to go scuba diving on our own because we're both scuba divers. And we literally had sex, uh, filming it with the GoPro on top of it, uh, under like, like about, uh, between 10 and 30 feet, uh, under the water, um, uh, with scuba gear. Wow, now that's creative fucking right there. <laughs> yeah, that, that was, I think that was one of the craziest things I've, I've done, you know? Uh, but it's not really bad. Well, you mentioned the triple anal with uh, Adriana. I'm kind of curious to ask you, as far as like double vaginal penetration and double anal penetration, the setting up of that scene as a performer, what goes into that? Like, how do you know like who's going to be in there with you? And I guess for those that have never performed that act before, like, I'm sure it must be some sort of like circus type of theatrics to make sure that, you know, you get into the right position to make sure that uh, A, you know, you're both inside there and B, the camera can actually see what the hell is going on. Um, how can I say? Um, as I said before, on adultdvdtalk.com, um, because they asked me this question before one time, you know, for, for us guys to do, for example, a double badge or double anal, it's more like an artistic act we perform on camera to pleasure the woman, I would say, um, asking for it. But it's not really something that, that gives us any more pleasure as guys. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm sure it's very uncomfortable. Yeah, it's like, I think, like all those kind of things, you know, if you do double anal or double badge, you know, it's, it's more like an artistic act, you know. And it's, it's so more it's for like, the theatrics to say, yeah. you know, you wow, that, we did this. Did you do that in, in your private life? Nah, not really. Um, but like on camera, yeah, we do it because fans want to see it, you know, and... Uh, don't forget, you know, there, there are many, many girls out there who have a fantasy, you know, who, who fantasize about the idea to have two cocks in the same time in their bottle or in, in their vagina hole. And then there we come, you know. Um, if, a, if it's a girl's fantasy, we, we are here and try to fulfill this fantasy for the girl, if she can do it. Let's talk about fetishes, because you've been in some productions that have involved fetish play, and you've also starred in some scenes for kink.com, their sex and submission website, as well as for their everything but website. So I'm kind mm -hmm. of curious to ask you, just in general, in scenes, do you enjoy playing with fetishes and, uh, you know, experiencing fetish play on film? Um, I, I have kind of like, you know... Um, and little fetish blood pumping through my veins. Um, if it's if it's the right scenario, you know, um, 
if it is if it is the right scenario, you know, with the with the right uh, people and the, the right boundaries, it can be fun. You know, I I do like Latex. I have to say, sadly, there are not so many people are shooting this kind of stuff anymore, and it's really expensive. Speaking generally about productions in the industry, if we want to break things down to the simplest terms possible, there are basically four different types of scene-type pairings. There's the one-on-one, there's the female-female-male threesome, there's the male-male-female threesome, and there's what I'm going to just generally call group sex, which is, you know... Of four or more people. My question for you, as someone who's a veteran in the industry, who's been doing scenes for 15 years now, which of those scene types is the most easiest to perform in, and which is the most difficult to perform in? I would say the the easiest is uh, the boy girl, like one guy with one girl. Um, I think is the easiest. Um, the most, the most difficult, I would say, is probably like some DP slash gangbangs, you know, because um, it's kind of like uh, the positions are not as comfortable with the DP. You really need to know what you're doing. And in, in our industry, you see many, many times, you know, that other performers, they, they struggle in getting those kind of things done, you know. Um, game banks are, are, I would say, easy if there is no DP or triple anal or double anal involved. But if there is if there is all those kind of craziness in walking out, it can be a little bit more difficult too, you know. And then there is the other fact, you know, that you have to share the girls with many, many other guys, you know. Which I prefer not to. So after being featured in and headlining so many DVD titles and scenes. I'm kind of curious to ask what brought on the urge to direct and produce your own content? What led from Mick Blue being solely a performer to also working behind the camera? I think it's a natural progress, you know. You you kind of like to create your own ideas and uh you, you kind of like you move forward in your life and and uh, you you kind of like you want to progress and directing and producing is definitely progress in our industry. What was it like after you directed your first title to hold it in your hands, hold the DVD in the hands for the first time? Oh my God, it, it was it was a great feeling and I still remember. Uh, the first title I ever directed um, was Meet the Fuckers for Zero Tolerance. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it was even in the year 2004. It was here 2004, 2005 when the movie got released. And yeah, I mean, it, it, it was like just 
amazing, you know, and, and what a great feeling. And till now, I think it it was one of the coolest movies I've ever done. Let's talk about what goes into creating a production. Are the titles and the concepts something that you oversee? Is Are these ideas that uh, you come up with? Are these ideas that are pitched to you by the various production companies that you're working with? And also, how involved are you in the casting of uh, the productions? Well, that depends on the, on the company you direct for. Um, and if you own your own product or not. Um, sometimes, sometimes, you know, or many times in the past, I, I pitched ideas for companies and then they did it. Um, but then, in the same time, sometimes, you know, the companies, they need a certain movie with a certain concept, and then basically they give me the concept and I, I, I create everything around it, you know. Um, casting guys, most of the time, I do I do have my freedom till now uh, to choose whoever I want to shoot for the movies, which is great because it gives me the possibility to to use those girls and those guys from whom I know what they can deliver in front of the camera for me, which I think is a very important thing uh, in order to guarantee a certain quality of product. Describe your shooting style. Um, So describe my shooting style. I think um, I'm very detailed and and, uh, um, kind of like, um, how can I say, thoughtful about the piece before a scene. Because it's kind of like it's the lead-in for the viewer, you know, to get to know the girl, to build up the connection with the girl and all this kind of stuff. And um, depending on the company, um, I I like to create it like in a way um, as a music tip, you know, but also with a touch that can capture the personality of the girl too, you know, uh, to bring the viewer closer. And then once the sex started, I want to capture the chemistry in between the performance. And I do want to see that they really enjoy each other having, uh, while having sex with each other and trying to get each other off. And because I think that's, that's the beauty of that what you can film. Because you obviously are directing and you're directing a lot of stuff that you're in you have to see yourself you know in the scenes was that difficult to see in the beginning are you the type of person that doesn't mind seeing himself on film in interviews in the past there are some performers that don't watch their own scenes so they purposely you know do not like to see the scenes that they're in but because you're directing and producing content you know there's no way that you can avoid it you know you have to make sure that your vision is coming through in the final product so was it uh, awkward or weird seeing yourself on film or was it something that you enjoyed seeing or that you didn't mind seeing no, it's, it's for me. For me, when I when I watch myself in the scenes, you know, it's it's really just like to to um, either see uh, the technical standards, you know, I mean, uh, for example, 
if I if I like if I can correct are the the camera angles for the camera guy who who works for me and stuff like that. You know, I I see I see it from that day, and and then from myself, um, it's it's also good to see because I can I can find out things that I can improve on my own work. You know, mm-hmm. uh, which when you when you kind of like you don't see yourself, you don't know that you do it. You know, um, kind of like. You you find certain things you know that would be better if you don't do that. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. For the fans out there that are tuning in that might be interested in working in the industry, and since I'm getting the chance to speak with someone who's a veteran in the industry, and as you know, I keep on mentioning 15 years in the game. In your opinion, what does it take uh, emotionally, physically? mentally, financially, and even spiritually to make it in the adult industry? Well, if you, if you first, first of all, before you enter the adult industry, uh, you need to be aware of one thing. Uh, it doesn't matter how many things you do in times of the internet and social media and everything up there, People they find out what you do or what you did, and it's gonna it's gonna stick with your life till the end of your life because it's always gonna be there. So that's the first thing you need to think about. It you know, are you okay with that? Once you once you say to yourself, okay, I'm okay with that, that people gonna maybe um, hold crutches against me in the future for that what I do. Then you need to you need to see yourself, you know, if you can even do things, you know, if you can withhold the stress, you know, and and uh, uh, all this kind of stuff. Because as I said before, you can be a great fucker at home, but once once the lights go on, once the the camera goes on, and once the girls show you the cold shoulder and basically let you know, like, hey, dude. I'm here only because I'm gonna get paid right now, and I totally don't like you because you're an amateur. Then, then uh, um, you will see, you know, if how hard the business can be, and if you can do it. And if you manage that part as well, I think one of the most important things is what, what most of the guys nowadays out there uh, don't think about is. Is you you gotta stay you gotta stay humble you know you you gotta stay no you gotta stay on the floor because it's kind of like like if you are just a few years in the industry you have you haven't and seen nothing yet you know uh, the time's gonna come where you where you have a bad day at work you know where you're gonna struggle and where you where you have to fight too and and. You, you need to keep the bar low, you know, uh, and and earn your dues over time. And I think I think if you want to be great, and that's what you do, that's a very big feature. If you don't have that, you might gonna be okay, but you kind of like you limit yourself of learning for a longer period, you know, if you think you know already everything. Does it make sense? Absolutely, man. Yeah, that was a really good answer. And hopefully, it's like, it's like for, for example, 
me myself, I'm 15 years in the industry now, and um, I was fortunate to win all those kind of things. But I still go every day to work and say like, oh, wow, okay, I can learn something, you know. There's something I can improve. Oh, my God, oh, wow. You know, yeah, I should do that different. I should do that different. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm not on the, on the top yet, you know. Uh, it's, and I think that's really, really important. If you lose that, you can't improve your game anymore. I like that answer, man. I hope that anyone that uh, might be thinking about joining the industry certainly listened to what you just said, because those are certainly great words of advice. Thank you. You're welcome. What do you attribute your longevity to in the industry? Why do you think you made it to year 15? Well, I don't know. The time, the time just flew by so fast, you know? So it's kind of like, um, I don't know. Like, I think, I think with the answer I gave before, you know, I, I always tried to stay, to stay on the floor and, and try to learn from every single situation I'm in, you know, and just take that and improve and improve and improve and, and just uh, just stay focused, you know. And another thing that's very important is, you know, it's kind of like we are in our industry, we are kind of like athletes. And we almost have to live like an athlete, you know. It's like if you, if you have a rough lifestyle or outside the industry or in the industry with, with drugs, drinking and partying and and all those crazy stuff, it's gonna be hard for you to last for for a long time because your body is not gonna pay with it, you know? It's a it's a physically very demanding job and you just need to live very clean and healthy. Right now it's time to ask you the big question, the question that I'm sure all of your hardcore fans and supporters are dying to know. How much is Mick Blue packing? What do you mean, packing? How big are you below the waist? How big I am? Dude, I, I never measured it, to be honest. I, I don't really know how big it is. Um, all I know is it's a good size for girls. They think it's bigger than average. Even Annika says that, and she, she has a few big ones there. So, I don't know. It's like, I would say, if I estimated, maybe something between 8 and 9 inch or so, but uh, the definite answer I don't have. And I think it doesn't matter. It's really, I think it matters the way how you use it and how it's been captured on video for you fans out there. Do you do anything in particular to maintain a consistent pop shot? Do you do anything in particular to make sure that uh, the money shot is uh, a decent load in the scene? Are you the type of person that watches what uh, he eats or makes sure he abstains from doing anything before a scene comes up to make sure that you have a good pop shot? But the size of the pop shot, you can't, you can't control that. You know, it's like, 
It's like sometimes I, I go to work and I have a huge pop shot and then I have a medium pop shot and then maybe one and I have a smaller one and it, it's not really like that I do something else. You know, it's kind of like like the human body is its own own boss, kind of like, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's nothing really uh, you can do. What I do do uh, is, and that's what I said already before, is that I sustain a very healthy lifestyle, you know? I I do sport if I have time. I eat clean and healthy food and I stay away from alcohol and drugs, you know? And try to get a certain amount of sleep every night to have enough energy for the work the day after. And I think that's one of the main things, you know? Well, Mick, unfortunately, we're running out of time, and I still have many more questions for you about this great career that you've had in the industry. Are you willing to come back for a part two so that we can finish up the interview? Absolutely. Fantastic, Mick. So, listeners, stay tuned. Part two is going to be coming really soon for you. But uh, before I let you go, Mick, in this part one, I want to allow you to get the chance to allow the listeners to know where they can find you on the web. How can they follow you, social media, all of the goodies? All right. So, um, if you want to find me on the web, uh, social media and stuff like that, it's very, very easy and simple. Um, I have uh, Twitter and Instagram. I'm looking daily on those two sides, and my name there is Mick Blue XXX. Um, that's how you can find me. And supposedly, if you go to work, you could just Google my name, Mick Blue, and then Twitter or something like that. You should find me as well. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Perfect. Well, Mick, I certainly want to thank you so much for the interview. Thank you as well. Have a great evening. Fantastic. And listeners also want to thank you so much for tuning in to One on One with Poppy Chulo. Tune in for brand new episodes of One on One with Poppy Chulo every Wednesday and Thursday at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. You can download this episode and many more by visiting poppychuloradio.com forward slash archives. Registered users will gain access to the Poppy Chulo Radio archives of previously aired broadcasts. And with that, Mick Blue and I would like to wish you and yours a wonderful night. Good night, listeners. Good night, everybody. Let's go. Thanks for listening to One on One with Poppy Chulo. To contact us with any of your questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns, email us at contact at poppychuloradio.com or leave us a voicemail at 305-515-8620. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter by going to twitter.com slash poppychuloradio and like us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash poppychuloradio. Be sure to listen again next week as we continue to showcase exclusive interviews with some of the adult industry's most popular male performers. This is Ben Patrick Johnson saying good night and have a wonderful week.